Well, good morning. Uh, I think about a month ago I said that these are the four best months of the year, and now we are into the three best months. Like September, I, I'm super excited for, but from October on, I, it, I just love the leaves changing colors and, and just love uh, the temperature drop. And, and so I'm, I'm hoping, for your sake and mine, that the final three months of the year are just an incredible time to enjoy and hopefully close out uh, 2020 uh, with a, a positive bang. I was going to say a bang, but with a positive bang. If you're new this morning, my name is Derek Van Ruler. I'm the lead pastor here of Sunbury City Church. It's just a joy each week just to open up God's Word and dive into it together. And so we're going to do that again this morning. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And so if you have your Bible, grab it and turn with me to Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. We're going to be, uh, the book of Ephesians is probably about 90% of the way through, and it's, it's after First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, it goes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and First and Second Thessalonians. And so Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and as you turn there, I just want to kind of let you in on something that uh, over the last couple of weeks I've been working on in conjunction with Pastor Mark Gittens of Higher Hope church over in uh, Sealands Grove area and his son Nicholas Gittens. About a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to, to just sit down with them. If you know Pastor Mark at all and his son, you know uh, one, the incredible ministry that God has given to them over the past 20 years. But two, you also recognize that pretty clear that he's African American. And so I had the opportunity and he was just incredibly gracious to allow me to sit down and for about an hour and a half just interview him and his son Nicholas. What does it mean and what does it look like in the season that we're in to be African American with all of the racial tensions going on? And then how should we as followers of Jesus Christ actually think about the Black Lives Matter movement and the Black Lives Matter message? And so it's just a wonderful time to be able to just sit down and, and talk with them. And so tomorrow morning on our Facebook page, that video will go live at 9 a.m. And so go ahead and uh, check that out tomorrow morning. And it was just a wonderful dialogue, hopefully, to help us to shape our thinking around the conversation of race. And so check that out tomorrow morning. So hopefully by now, though, you've made it to Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And as we uh, get into this passage this morning, I, I was uh, thinking about really uh, a, a time in my life, and maybe you've had this as well, a time in my life where I wanted something so bad. I just, I did everything I could to get this thing or, or to get this uh, object or whatever it was. I was doing everything I could to get it, pushing all of my energy towards that. And then, I, for some reason, I could never obtain what I wanted. And then months later, years later, I look back and I think, thank God I did not get what I wanted. Any of you been in that position where you wanted something so bad, you're trying with all of your might to get it, and then you look back and, oh, thank you, Lord, that I didn't get so I remember being in college, and uh, I'd worked for a company for a couple of years. And to be quite honest, I, I enjoyed the environment. I enjoyed my coworkers. I enjoyed the work 
that I did. But uh, as I was getting closer to graduating, I, I just began to realize that, that I wanted more stable hours. I wanted to get paid for the work that I was actually doing. I, I came to find out through the process that I was well underpaid what the going rate was. And so I started to look for a new job. And I remember going out to all of these different businesses, applying, and I even got an interview. And as good and as wonderful as all of that was, and even the interview, something just didn't seem right. I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and for some reason, it just didn't seem to fall into place. And through all of that, I, I wanted what I wanted, and yet I could never seem to get what I wanted. Now fast forward a, a couple of months later, and uh, I was getting ready to graduate. I was kind of in this weird position. I, I finished school early, but I wouldn't graduate for another six, seven months. And so I was in this weird position. And in that moment, uh, I just felt the Lord leading me into college ministry, which would take me over to Germany for a year. And to do that, I had to raise financial support. Now, the, the difficulty was is that I went to college five hours away from where I grew up. And so what that meant was anybody who had any money, because college students don't, anybody who had any money who could support this ministry was five hours away. And that job I so longed to get rid of became incredibly valuable to me in that moment. You see, I, I hated all of the change of the hours, but what that job actually provided was incredible amount of flexibility where I could push my hours to the beginning of the week and I could go home for long weekends, raise financial support, come back, work a few days, go back home, raise more support. And through that process, the company even transferred me to a store closer to my parents, all so that I could actually work and raise financial support. And it was in that moment that I began to realize that God did not give me the job that I wanted, but rather he gave me the job that he wanted so that I could do what he wanted me to do. And I wonder how many of us have ever come to that realization in life. That there are things that we want to do that God continues to take from us. It just, for some reason, just feels elusive to us. And he doesn't give that to us because in that moment, he's actually trying to lead us and to give us what he desires for us. And how often that happens. And I think what we're going to see this morning as we dive into Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, we're going to see the things that we want. And in the midst of that, we're going to see what actually God does. And then we're going to see the response that it is good news to us that he gives us what he wants, not what we want. And so with that, let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. And we believe that this is God's Word, His spoken word, the creator of the universe. And so we want to stand in honor of God's word. So would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. 
and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And hear this. I believe the greatest two words in all of Scripture. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. So we are in this series uh, in which we are really looking, how do we be whole when we feel shattered? Because as we've said all year long, 2020 just uh, exposed how broken and shattered we feel. And so we're taking this fall to really dive in for 15 weeks on 12 primary marks, if you will, 12 ways in which the Bible talks about us needing to grow or understand to live for Jesus Christ. And then the other three weeks we're just using to say, what is the goal of life, which we saw in week one, was, was the glory of God. And what is the goal of the Christian life? We saw in week two, which is to make disciples. And then at the end, we will see the goal of all of life, the goal of all of eternity, which is us around the throne of God. And then the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the idea of prayer. How do we connect with God through prayer? How do we connect with God by gathering together as a corporate body, encouraging, sharpening helping each other live for Jesus. And then today we're just going to dive in and say, what, what is the core truth of all of Scripture? What does God want us to know? And as we look at that this morning, what we're going to see, and really what we see in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1, we see that, that Paul is writing that this book, he's saying that before creation, before God even started any of the process, we see that he existed and he had sovereignty over everything. And it's out of his sovereign control that he began to create for his own pleasure and for his own glory. And then out of that, we see how God has worked in the middle 
of creation and how he's brought that glory into our own personal lives through faith in Jesus Christ. And as we look at this, Paul is going to show us this main point this morning. He's going to show us that God lovingly did what we didn't want. God lovingly did what we, what you and I did not want so that we might joyfully do what he wants. And that's good news. That is incredibly good news for us this morning. And so in order to understand this, we're going to look at two actions. We're going to look at our action, and we're going to look at God's action, and then we're going to look at a response to that action. So let's go ahead and jump into this passage. And what we see here is we need to look first at our action, or rather what we have done in the process. And so let's look first at verse verses 1 to 2. Paul already described the glory of God and how we need to uh, live for the glory of God rather than our own glory. And then he immediately says, and you are dead in the trespasses and sins. So, so pause for a moment. This is a story of every single one of us here today. This is a story of every single one of us here today. Whether you have come to faith in Christ, and this was your story before that moment, or you still are questioning or or wondering about faith in Christ, this is your story now. But this is true of all of us for all of creation. And what does he say? He says that we're dead. We've kind of got to understand that because my guess is if you're dead, you're not here, right? If you are, we need to call 911. So what does he mean by that? Obviously, he's meaning something deeper. He's meaning something else. And he's meaning uh, that we have this spiritual deadness, that we're dead to the reality of God. We're dead to the things that God desires. We're dead to the righteousness that, that lives in light of what God desires. And then notice what he says. He says that we're dead in our trespasses. And we kind of get this idea of what trespass means just by, by the name, right? When you go beyond the boundary, you see the trespass sign on, on fences all around town. It's going beyond the boundary. But then he also says that we're dead in our sins. It's this idea where we're missing the mark. Paul says that the way in which we are living our lives, we are dead to the things of God. And by our very nature, we are bent towards sin. Bent away from God. David would say in Psalm 51 that in my mother's womb, when I was conceived, I had sinned. Whoa. We have the sin nature from the very first moment of conception. And Paul says this is true for all of us apart from Jesus. And then he goes on to describe this even more. And he says that we followed the course of this world. Again, we've got to understand what he means by, by world. Because today we think of the physical planet that we're walking on. Or we think kind of in generic terms as as the world's way of thinking, the world's way of operating. But that's not what Paul says, does he? He's actually using this term world to speak about the supernatural forces that are at work. The cosmic realities that we do not see. 
And he says that we are following those cosmic realities, those demonic forces that are pressing upon us, getting us to, to follow their ways rather than the ways of God. And he's saying that's what we're doing here as well. That without thinking, we just follow what we see or what we think in that moment is right without actually taking deeper thought to wonder, is, is this the right way of living? He, he says that we just automatically follow whatever sounds right and what sounds right is often demonic. Did you see that? Because he says that we're following the course of this world and then he says that we follow the prince of the power of the air. Well, well who's that? That's Satan. That's a pretty big claim. Because he just said that, that there are two paths in life. We either are following the path of Jesus or we're following the path of Satan and there's no middle ground. He's not saying, hey, you're a good person. You just kind of need a little bit of extra credit to get over the top. He's saying, no, you're either following Jesus or you're rebelling against the ways of Jesus and following the way of Satan. He says that's our, that's our natural bent. And the reality is that if we do not stop and if we don't pause and think about our lives, that's exactly the way in which we are going to live our lives. Ever been in a situation where you just thought something sounded so right and so you 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 went on that information and you just kind of led your life based on that information and it was a disaster? Ever been there? Man, this sounds so right. Yeah, I, sh I, I should make this decision. And it becomes a disaster around you? Yeah, it's because we're following the ways of the world. It sounds right. But, but let me tell you, the way in which we need to fight against that, the way in which we can actually press against that is actually by being in community where we are sharpening each other, where we are helping each other press into God's ways and not into our own ways. You and I need men and women in our lives who know God's word, who love God, and are willing to speak truth to us willing to speak so much truth to us that we actually begin to follow the ways of Jesus rather than what we desire in that moment. And this is incredibly important. Because again, Paul says that if we don't, we are following Satan. Everything out there in the world, if it's not pointing you back to Jesus, it's not neutral. It's pointing you away from him. There's, there's no middle ground here. So we've got to be careful here. Because the world around us is discipling us. Did, did you know that? The world around you is shaping you to think about ways in which you should live. So what you watch on TV, what you read in the newspaper, what you hear on the radio, what your friends talk about, they are all shaping you 
to think about the world a certain way. And if you're not careful, it will shape you in ways that go contrary to Jesus Christ. And so you and I have got to know God's word, but you and I have also got to, to be aware of what we are taking in. So we've got to be aware of what we're watching on TV. Is this helping me to love Jesus? We've got to be aware right now. I mean, right now we are bombarded with news, right? We are being bombarded with a lot of political propaganda. And we've got to be careful because we can easily be sucked into that and thinking that that is our world rather than the world of Jesus Christ that's eternal. In all reality, who cares who wins in the next 30 days because Jesus Christ is still on his throne. And yet the world's trying to tell us that whatever happens in the next 30 days has the ability to either make or break your life. See, it's trying to get you to tie your life to the ways of the world rather than tie your life to the anchor of Jesus Christ. And Paul's just trying to help us to see here that, that we, need to, we need to recognize what's actually going on behind the scenes. And, and, and let me say, for us as parents, we have to be incredibly mindful of what our kids are taking in. We've got to know what they're watching. We've got to know... What the, the things that they're looking at, I, I mean, right now, they are just exposed to a million different things on their phone. And, and if we're not careful, they will have free access uh, of the Internet and it can just go rampant. And we as parents, the ones that God has gifted us, these kids, and, and has asked us to guide them to maturity... In the Lord, we, we've got to be careful and say, okay, what are they watching? What are they allowing in? Because if we are, are going to do what God has called us to do, we need to begin to shepherd them to the ways of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, if I don't, the world is going to. If we wake up one day and wonder why our kids are not following Jesus Christ, all we got to do is just grab a mirror and start looking and wonder, did I have a role to play in that? I can't make my kids follow Christ, but I can do a lot of dumb things that will pull them away from Christ. Paul's saying, we need to know there is a spiritual reality driving us and we've got to take it seriously because notice what he says in verse 3 he says that this is the way in which we all lived again before Christ this is the way we all live none of us are good people if you think you're a good person, come talk to me afterwards and I will give you two hours to explain every word, thought, or deed that you did this past week. Any, any takers? I don't even want to do that with myself because it's shameful. So we're not good people. When we, when we live according to our heart, when we live according to our flesh, we, we don't follow the ways of God, and as a result, we are not doing good things. And look at what Paul says. Our, our way of living isn't uh, 
for some reason, there's this idea out in culture today that when we die, we all get to go to heaven. It's not true. And so what happens is we think we can live life however we want and we'll still go to heaven, or we can live life however we want, and as long as we do enough good things. But notice what Paul says. When we live the way we want, what happens? Notice what he says. He says that we are actually children of wrath. That the way in which you and I, you know, the world's telling us, follow your heart. Paul just said, you follow your heart, and you'll follow it straight to the pit of hell. We've got to be careful, because we're objects of wrath. That, that's what we are naturally inclined to do. You know, it's funny, I, I hear a lot of times that one of the things that the world is trying to teach us is that you and I are unique. That you're unique, I'm unique, we're all unique, and we should press into that uniqueness about that for a second. If I press into my uniqueness, who am I pressing into? Myself. If I press into myself, what did Paul just say? I'm pressing into the gates of hell. Instead, we need to be pressing into Christ, which means that I'm not going to look unique. I'm going to look more like Christ. And that's going to lead to life. But that's what we've done. Our ways have led away from life, away from Christ, away from his glory, and have led us to this desperate state that we're in. So in the midst of that, let's go ahead and turn and look at what God has done. Because we need to see the, uh, the really the scandalous approach that God has to our way of living. Look at verse 4. If you just think about Actually, let's just pause for a moment. If you just think about it, parents, help me out here. If you think about it, and you think about those first three verses, and if you think that those first three verses characterize or categorize your child, what is going to be, if the pen is in your hand, what is going to be the very next sentence that you're going to write? Like, if all that Paul said, that, that your child is a child of wrath, following the ways of Satan, following the pattern of the world, dead, wicked. Like, if, if that's true, what's going to be your next line? I know what my next line is, you need to get in shape. You need to get better. You need to get your act together. You need to. But look at what Paul actually writes. This is just so amazing. I, I just feel like it, it's, the, it's the centerpiece of the entire Bible because look at what Paul goes to. He says, but God. He doesn't say, and God. He doesn't say, the result is that God did this. But he said, but God. In the middle of what you and I actually deserve, God enters in and he does the complete opposite of what we deserve. Did you get that? But God, he does the complete opposite of what we deserve. And notice what God does. What he does actually comes out of who he is. You see, all, oftentimes the reason why we rebel against the Lord and we follow our own ways into sin is because we don't actually know who God is. 
if we actually knew the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the awesomeness and the majesty of God, we would respond differently. But we begin to believe lies, just like Adam and Eve did, that God is not as good as he said he was. So out of that, we begin to to turn away. But Paul just wants to ground us back in who God is. And look at what he says about God. He says that God being rich in mercy. God's not a cheapskate. He is rich in mercy. This idea of mercy is where we get relief from distress. He's, he's not saying, hey, I see that, that you had kind of a tough week. I, I see that the month or, or 2020 has been hard. No, he's saying, I see that you're going to hell and I will do something about it. I'll bring relief to you in that moment. And, and, and again, what's the relief from? It's, it's from the wrath of God. He just said that, that he's got all of this justice that should be poured out upon our sin. He's got all of this wrath that's stored up. And yet he's got mercy in the middle of that. And look at how Paul talks about this mercy. He couples it with great love. That should be mind-blowing for us. Because how in the world can we talk about God being wrathful and God being loving? We, we live in a culture that feels like those two are diametrically opposed. Think about it. If someone comes to your family to harm your family, what is love going to do? Protect them. Harm the intruder. That's what God's doing. He has love in the midst of his wrath because uh, sin has happened. And so he has this wrath that is against that sin. And yet in the middle of that, he is actually showing love to those who are his. And notice here that he is now allowing this, and we're going to see later that he's allowing this love to be displayed and to be given to all of us, that instead of you and I getting the wrath of God, you and I will have the ability to have God's love. That's crazy, church. That is incredibly crazy that the God of the universe that we have offended gives us love rather than wrath. And notice the timeline in case we forgot. He says that he did this even when we were dead in trespasses. And so he doesn't do this when things are going well, when our life is all put together. No, it says that he does this when we're following our own ways, when we're running away from the Lord. It's at that moment God, because of his character, comes into our lives and gives us this mercy. He gives us this amazing love despite what we have done. You know, we've, we've got this idea that, that I think is a little bit off. We've got this idea that God has unconditional love. That's not true. The late David Powelson said that God doesn't have unconditional love. He actually has contra-conditional love. Unconditional love is this idea that God loves us with no strings attached. That's not true. God loves us with strings attached because God sees your plight. He sees my plight. And despite that condition, 
despite the despicable place that we are in, God enters in and he gives us amazing love. It is contra our condition, contra what we deserve. And he enters in and he gives us this love. And what does Paul say next? He says that not only does he give us, give us this love, but he actually gives us life. He shows us so much contra-conditional love that he actually gives life together with Christ. That Jesus Christ took on human flesh, that he lived the life that you and I should have lived, the, and he died the death that you and I should have died because the wage of sin is death. He died that death so that you and I might be brought into the family of God and that we might actually be raised to new life. That death no longer has the final word, but we have this life where we can now stand alive together with Christ. Again, we, we, we've, we've got to get this in our heads. We've got to get this in our hearts. Because think about this for a moment. Your sin and my sin put Christ on the cross. Well, let me tell you, if you come and you harm my family in any way, the last thing I want to do is go ahead and grab dinner with you. And we put Christ to death because of our sin, and as Christ rose, we don't just get to have one dinner with Jesus. We get invited in to a forever banquet with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I mean, how scandalous is that? We put Christ to death, and yet he raises us that we get to be with him forever amazing church. And Paul, again, he wants to remind us that all of this is by grace. All of this is great. We, our works did none of this work. And that should be incredibly challenging for us today. Because it's, it's based on the reality that God loved those who were opposed to him. He loved those who rebelled against him and he brought them in, his enemies. That Jesus then is able to say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, the, the way in which we can love those who hate us is because we were the once the hater of God. And we've been given incredible grace that we are just now asked to give to others. So we must be a church that actually sees this grace and desires to give that grace to other people. And, and we also need to, be, we need to be marked by this grace in another way. Right now, over the next 30 days, we are going to hear ad after ad after ad. We are going to be shaped to think about the two political candidates for president in a certain way. And we are going to be tempted to make our lives based on our politics, not on our Savior. Church, I, I long for us to be a place where we're marked by grace. I don't know if you know this. Four years ago, we were a church 
primarily made up of one party, and now four years later, God has rescued men and women who I know it's pretty split 50-50 of people on both sides of the political spectrum. And so that means is that because of the grace of Christ, we need to be careful over the next 30 days to give each other grace, to know that you can follow Jesus and vote for Biden, and you can follow Jesus and vote for Trump, or you can probably be like most of us and follow Jesus and say, God help us, right? So we've got to make sure that we, we unyoke and say, okay, th- these are the options that we've got. Lord, give us wisdom. And if you land somewhere else, Lord, give them wisdom. We need to have incredible grace because God has given us incredible grace. But just when we thought it couldn't get any more scandalous, Paul actually goes there. He shows us that, that, that God gives us lordship. Look at verse 6. This is just crazy. Because Paul says that we've been seated with Christ, where? In the heavenly places. So, where's Christ right now? He is seated at the right hand of God, reigning and ruling. So, guess what that means? That means that Jesus Christ was not and still is not, it was not blown away that COVID 19 happened. He was not surprised and still is not surprised that any of that happened. He is reigning and ruling as supreme. He is in complete control. And then notice what happens. Paul says that we are actually going to be raised and we're going to be seated in the same place that Jesus Christ is seated. I don't know about you. There's a lot of days in my life where I'm like, I can't even be Lord of my own life. And God is going to make us Lord of all things with Jesus Christ. Does that remind you of something? It goes way back to the Garden of Eden, which we were created to actually be Lord over all things under the headship of God. You see, the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection doesn't just punch my ticket to heaven. It actually changes everything. It even changes me now. And it renews me back to the original image of God that we were created to be. And why would God do that? Verse 7, Paul tells us, So that in the coming ages, uh, the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness towards us in Christ might be shown. He did this so that people for all of eternity might bask in the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Anybody know the CEO of Pepsi? Nobody. Anybody? Has anybody heard of Steve Jobs? Right? So why have we heard of Steve Jobs but not the CEO of Pepsi? Steve Jobs is this amazing, talented guy who started Apple Computer, left them. They were flailing. And then what did he do? He came in and he made it the powerhouse that it is today. And we love that story because we love a good reclamation project, don't we? 
That's exactly what Steve Jobs did with Apple. And so we know him and we praise him. And that's exactly what God the Father has done for all those who trust in Jesus Christ. And so we will praise him for all of eternity because of every single one of his reclamation projects in this room and across all of history. He's doing it so that we might know how amazing he truly is. So that means that you and I have no right to walk around with arrogance. We've, we've got no right to act like we're better than other people. Like we have somehow figured life out and everybody else needs to live the way that we are living and get their acts together like we have our act together. Because it's the God of the universe who, who's actually done all the work. It's the God of the universe who's taken us from the muck and the mire. And he's raised us to this place where we will be praising God forever. To this place where our lives will actually be on display for the glory of God. And it actually brings us to a point where we can finally be honest about our lives. If you think about it, it brings us to a place that you and I can actually be honest about the sin that we have in our lives. Because as we express it, as we confess it to one another, as we get rid of sin in our life, and we are walking with each other to live for Jesus, Jesus gets more glory. So it takes us off the hamster wheel of having to prove ourselves to everybody else. Because Christ has already outed us that we need his salvation. We need his grace. So we can actually press into community and we can actually press in to, to confession and press into to pursuing Christ together. But then it also frees us from comparison, doesn't it? This grace and this immeasurable riches just frees us from having to compare ourselves to one another, and it actually frees us to love and care for one another the way Christ has loved and cared for us. So you know what that means, church? It means that it frees us to fight for equality across all races. It frees us to, to fight that our kids would follow Christ. Because we don't have to earn anyone's approval. We have it all entirely in Jesus Christ. That's amazing news, isn't it? I mean, it's just radical that, that Jesus would do this. I don't want us to be people who have been in church forever and just lose sight of the, the scandalous nature of what Jesus did. And yet, there needs to be a response to this. God, God is calling us to respond. And so, let's turn lastly and look at what we must do, the, the response that we should have in our lives. And look with me at verses 8 and 9. Paul continues, in case we forget, Paul continues and he says, hey, it's by grace, a free gift. You and I don't deserve it. Remember, we deserve hell and yet we get heaven. It's a free gift of God. It's not based on what we do. It's based on what Christ has done. And he says that we've been given grace through faith. 
Again, it's not our works. They're dead. It's all by faith. What you and I need to do is actually stop trusting in ourselves and start trusting in our Savior. We need to stop trusting in our own abilities and start admitting that we need Jesus Christ and his work and then receive the gift of grace by faith. Receive it and let God do the work in us. And notice what he says next. He says that all of this is done. It's a gift of God. And why? So that no one can boast. All of this is done so that you and I can't sit around acting like we are better than other people, acting as if everybody else out there is some sort of moron, but we've got life figured out. No, he's saying all of this is done so that God gets the glory. So that should change our mentality. It should change our hearts where we then respond in faith. We then respond by loving and caring for Christ, but then also loving and caring for others. Because notice how Paul ends. He doesn't say that we, we get this grace and we just kind of keep it inside of us. No, he says we get this grace and actually flows through us. Look, look at what he says in verse 10. He says that we are to walk in the good news that God has prepared beforehand. He says that, that we've been saved and we've been rescued to be with him forever. But until that moment, we don't just kind of ride out our lives waiting for that to come. But no, we use this time to do the very works that God has for you and I to do. We do the very things that his word is calling us to do. You know what those works are? It's where we're trusting God and taking steps of faith. Where we're leaning into the Lord and we're saying, God, I give you my all. And I'll follow you. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's difficult, and even when it's outside of my zone, I will follow you. So that means that we, we've, when we go to work, we've, we've got to start thinking not just about the things that we need to do. We've got to start thinking about the customers and the coworkers that are around us and start to pray, God, what would good works look like if I did them to these people? Or as we drive home, we got to begin to think about our neighbors or, or think about our spouse or think about our kids and say, God, what would it look like for me to do good works to my wife, to my husband, to my kids, to those around me? What would it look like to do works that glorify you, God? And we got to begin, as the Lord actually tells us that, we need to begin to take steps of faith where we follow. I think one of the reasons why we so often don't take steps of faith is because steps of faith humble us, don't they? When God calls us to do something that's outside of our comfort zone, that begins to create in us this awareness that we are not who we think we are. And at that moment, we can either press into the Lord and take that step, or we press into ourselves and we retreat. Paul's saying, hey, we've been saved. We've been given grace because of Christ to press in and take those unknown steps, but hold his hand as he leads us. So as we close this morning, as, as we think 
about all that, that we have done and, and how following our own passions have, have led us away from God and have led us to the pit of hell. And we, we think about all that God has done and how Jesus has actually gone to the very pit that you and I deserve to be in. He's gone to that and he's rescued us out of that and now he's seated in the heavenly places and he's inviting you and I by faith to be with him forever, seated with him in the heavenly places. Paul is really kind of challenging us and, and calling us to do and calling us to think, are we going to continue to base our life upon what we want? Are we going to hold so tightly to the very things that we think bring life, bring joy, bring satisfaction? Or will we finally, will we finally get to the moments in which we realize that the things that we desire lead us from God, away from God rather than the things that he desires leads us to life. And so churches, as, as we close, are we going to run to our own glory, run to our own satisfaction, run to our own ways, or are we going to run to the Lord and get down on our knees in humble adoration of the Father who does what we don't want so that he might change our hearts and give us what we joyfully desire for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the ways in which you have saved us, the ways in which you have, uh, many of us in this room here, knowing the reality that we are dead, that we are living away from you, that we are following our own ways, not your ways, that, that, that has led us to be children of wrath. Father, if there are men and women in this room who, who do not understand that right now, God, would you just press that truth into their hearts? Holy Spirit, would you just bring conviction, just open up their eyes and their hearts to just see the reality of their deadness to you. For those of us who have come to faith in, in Christ, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the richness of your mercy. We thank you for how much you have loved us. We thank you for the fact that you have rescued us and you have saved us and that you have now seated us and will seat us someday forever in the heavenly places with Christ. And we are grateful for the immeasurable riches of your grace and kindness. And so we pray that we might then walk by faith we might not boast, we not, might not brag, but by faith we might do the very works that you have prepared beforehand. Father, we pray, we ask that you would move in our hearts this morning. We pray in your son's name. Amen.